Dear Father, we thank you this morning because we know that you are with us. And God, we thank you that you are our hope, that you are our life, that everything we need is found in you. And God, we thank you that we can come here in this beautiful place today and worship you, the most beautiful God. And Lord, I, I thank you, we thank you that you never change, that you are faithful in all things. And Lord, this morning I know there are some who have just been wondering. There's some here in this church here today that have had their questions because of all that they're facing. And may you, our God, remind them right now by the power of your spirit that you are with them. You're walking beside them. That you are faithful because you never change. And so God, we thank you that we have the opportunity to worship you now. With the opportunity to learn from you, God, and now change us, challenge us, transform us, we pray, to be the people you've called us to be. We thank you for the opportunity, God, and we give you thanks. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, as we ended our services last weekend, we were left with a challenge. Do you remember that? We saw this video testimony of somebody right here at MCC who reached out to somebody in our community and marked that person with God's love. And that person then looked at us and said, okay, here's what you got to do. Keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open for any opportunity that's around you for you to do the same. Have you been doing that? Have you been keeping your eyes open to mark somebody else with God's love? I got to tell you this past week, it was encouraging to me because we were with this couple. Carol and I went out, went out to dinner with this couple and they took uh, that challenge to heart. In fact, we went to this restaurant. In fact, if you ever gone to a really nice restaurant, you sat down at this beautiful place and then realized pretty quickly that the waitress didn't want you there. You ever had that before? I mean, it was obvious, like you were a nuisance to her, like get out of here. We don't want you here. That's how we were treated. It was really odd. In fact, many people, of course, they might call the manager and say, you know, what's going on here? And we got to you know, get a different seat, a different waitress or something. And then this woman we were with says, you know what? Something's not right in her. Something's not right. And halfway through our meal, she called her over and says, you know what? Is there any way that we can pray for you? Any way we can pray for you at all? And with tears in her eyes, that waitress looked at us and said, you know what? Just pray for strength. Just pray for strength. And then she just walked away. She was asking us to pray for strength, not to get through her shift, not just to get through her day. She needed strength to get through her life. It was a beautiful opportunity to mark somebody else with God's love. You've been doing that? For me, it kind of looks like this. A lot, of, a lot of times when I get my hair cut, I utilize that opportunity. And so I got like 20 minutes with somebody, right? To sit down, they're cutting my hair, and I have a chance to get to know them. They get to know me a little bit, and I have some incredible conversations with people while I'm getting my hair cut. And it wasn't all that long ago, I'm sitting in this chair, I'm getting my hair cut, and this young woman, about 21 years old, I could tell she was struggling. And I just asked her this question, hey, Thanksgiving's coming up. Are you going to spend time with your family? Are you going to see your family at Thanksgiving? And she looked at me and says, no, I'm, I'm not going to see my family at Thanksgiving. I said, well, yeah, I know how that is. I mean, we've got family in Michigan on both sides of the state. It's really difficult to see our family at Thanksgiving because of that. I get that. How about Christmas? You're going to see your family at Christmas. She says, no, I'm, I'm not going to see my family at Christmas either. And then she looked at me and she said this. I've just learned that my family operates a whole lot better when we don't try to spend meaningful time together. Ouch. 
She knew she was called to be part of a family. And yet she didn't want to take part because her family members were messed up or she was messed up or both because she was part of this dysfunctional family. Can you relate in any way? Four weeks ago, we began this series in order to learn who we are. We've been learning from Peter. He's been teaching us that, first of all, we are chosen. We are chosen, that God sets his affection on us, calls us, draws us to himself, that we are chosen. And then for every person that responds in saving faith, then we are hope because we have the hope of Jesus Christ in us. And then last week we learned that we are holy, that God has called us to be his holy people. And now today, Peter teaches us something else, that we are family. And as family, as God's family, here's what he has in mind for us. Not that we be a dysfunctional family. Not that we be a family that looks at each other and says, you know what, we just learned that our family operates a whole lot better when we don't try to spend meaningful time together. He's got something different in mind for us. That we live out God's purpose for us as a family. And we live this out beautifully because of our love for each other. Because of our passion for one another. Because of our service for one another. This world would see us as his family and want in. That's what Peter has in mind for us today. And so we are family. And Peter begins to teach us this now in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And he starts it off by saying this. As you come to him. As you come to him. And I have to ask. How is it possible for us to come to Jesus? How is that possible? Well, some people, of course, think that they're able to come to Jesus because of their own intelligence or their own determination. You know, they looked at all the various options and they were smart enough to choose the right one. That's what a lot of Christians think. And, and yet the Bible makes it clear. Jesus made it clear that that's not how it works. In fact, Jesus spoke these words. Look at them. If you can put those up. No, the next one. Jesus' words here next. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Think about that. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You see, salvation, it's God's work. It's not ours. It always starts with God. And so right off the bat, Peter teaches us this lesson that God is the one who draws us. God is the one who draws us. And for every person he draws to himself and responds, Peter says that we are going to find Jesus to be a living stone. A living stone. That's an interesting metaphor when you stop to think about it, because in our day and age, we skip stones across the water when we're at the lake, right? You might use stones in your front yard as part of your landscaping. Stones aren't all that important. Why would Jesus be a living stone for all those who respond to him? Well, in the first century, stone is what you use to make your home. That's the only thing you made to use your home. You had mud and you had stone. And you would build up your own home for your family with these stones, And so Peter says, for all those who are drawn by God to Jesus, they're going to find Jesus once they respond to him to be this living stone. And what he's saying is that Jesus will make your family alive. You will be alive and you will be thriving because you've responded to Jesus. He is this living stone. But it's also a daring metaphor. Because when Peter states this, what he's saying is this, that Jesus Christ is far superior to the dead stones that made up the Old Testament temple. See, back then, if you wanted to come to God, you had to come to the temple made of dead stones. And now Peter's saying, because of Jesus, because of his work on the cross, because of his resurrection, if we want to come to God, we come to Jesus. And through Jesus, and through Jesus, there is hope. 
Through Jesus, there is peace. Through Jesus, there is life, is what he's saying. And Peter goes on to tell us, basically, he's saying this, that Jesus is always in the process of building up his family by taking dead stones quarried from the pit of sin and making them to be living stones who are then fit into his royal family. So let me ask you this morning, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Because we are family. We're family. When you're not here, something very important is missing, friends. We need to be together because we are family. And as family, as we come to Jesus and we are changed by Jesus, we need to realize that his fate is also our own. Peter states this, that Jesus, this living stone, he says, was rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. So two views regarding Jesus, this precious stone. First of all, he's rejected by men or he is chosen by God or both. How does this whole thing work? Well, first of all, there's man's view. Man's view rejects Christ. It says, you know what? Jesus is not worthy to build your life upon. And that's why a host of people, what do they do? They build their lives on their, their latest boyfriend or girlfriend. They build their lives on their newest job that they got or on their bank accounts. But the reality for a host of people is when they try to build their lives on these things, eventually they discover that it doesn't work. It doesn't satisfy. And for many people, because God has been at work in their life, calling them and drawing them to himself, eventually they come to the point when they embrace God's view. And God's view is this, that Jesus is worthy to build your life upon. In fact, Peter told us about this long before he even wrote this letter. One day he stood before a host of people and he said this. He said, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And since we didn't come to salvation due to our own intelligence, due to our own determination, friends, when we come before the Father, we have to come humbly. Humbly before him, filled with complete thankfulness. Why? Because God is the one who draws us. He draws us to him. And so in light of that, I just want us to stop here in this moment. And I want you to think about somebody you know in your life that knows about Jesus, but doesn't know Jesus. Family member, friend, somebody living on your street, somebody that you work with. Do you see them in your mind's eye? Right now, here in this place, I just want every single one of us just to stop and to pray. And pray, will you, that God would draw that person to himself, shower them with his love, with his grace, that they would respond. Let's stop right now and just pray that God would draw them. Father, we thank you for your work. We thank you that you are actively at work in our lives. And now, Lord, for each person that's been named here through our prayers, God, do what only you can do. Draw them to yourself, that they can come to know you, to follow you. We pray this, Lord, in your name, Jesus. Amen. See, Peter makes it clear that there's great plans in store for everyone who responds to Jesus. Here's what he says. You also, like living stones then, are being built into a spiritual house. Key phrase there. We're being built into the spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So first, Peter teaches us that God is the one who draws us. 
And now we learn that God is the one who installs us. He installs us as we are being built into this house. We're being installed into this spiritual house, he says. God is the one who installs us into the family. How does that work? Well, I like how Chuck Swindoll states it. Listen to this. He said, first century building practices often included cutting new stones from fresh quarries, then fitting the fresh cut stones perfectly into place. We get that. But a faster and less expensive way of gathering building materials was to use stones from old or toppled buildings, chiseling them to the appropriate shape and fitting them into new buildings. In fact, archaeologists often unearthed buildings that had incorporated many stones from earlier centuries. And some of these recycled blocks may even have traces of old inscriptions revealing the original identities of those earlier stones. And so, friends, we are family. We are family. And these stones, they they go all the way back to the Old Testament, all the way to the New Testament, all the way to now. And he builds up his spiritual house with these old stones representing the Jewish people and the new stones representing us, the Gentiles. And everyone who responds to him, whether you're Jew or Gentile, make up his incredible family. And as one family, then Peter says, what are we to offer Christ? We're to offer up our spiritual sacrifice, as he writes, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, if you're going to offer up a spiritual sacrifice, you'd offer up an animal. But because Jesus was offered up for us, we don't do that anymore. So what are the spiritual sacrifices that we offer to him? What are they? I'll say, first of all, we offer up our lives, our very lives. Paul writes, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Your very life is to be offered up to him. So then what are you doing with your body? How are you treating it? How are you eating? Are you exercising? And when it comes to your relationships with another person, if you're not married, how do you use your body there? Are you being holy before God? Are you diving into things you shouldn't be doing? Friends, our lives are to be a sacrifice to him. Also, our praise. We just praised God earlier. We're going to do that again at the end of our service. But our praise to him, we declare his fame, friends. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So we offer up our lives, we offer up our praise, and we learned this last week, we offer up our love for one another. Our love for one another. Paul writes, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, when you truly put somebody else before yourself, you sacrifice your life really for them, and you love them that intently, that is a sacrifice to God. And so we offer up our lives, we offer up our praise, we offer up our love for one another. And then Peter tells us why we offer up such an acceptable sacrifice to him. He says this, he says, and, and then he says this, For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. A cornerstone. Now, again, we don't think about cornerstones in our culture today. We we have a foundation we build our homes upon. But back then, of course, you would have a cornerstone. The cornerstone was the most essential stone. It was the stone upon which all the other stones were laid. The cornerstone was essential back then. In fact, here's a picture of one right here. You can see that at the bottom. 
And here's the deal. If the cornerstone of your home was not perfectly set in place back then, your entire home would be messed up. And so what Peter is saying is that as our cornerstone, Jesus sets everything right. He calls us, he makes us into one family because we are family. We're built on him, our cornerstone. But then Peter issues us this warning. He says, now to you who believe, this stone is precious. Let me ask you, is Jesus precious to you? Is he precious to you, really? He needs to be so precious to you that he's your first thought. He's your prayer throughout the day. Just give me Jesus. Is he precious to you? He says, now to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble. And a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So he's saying some people, when they look at Jesus, they respond to him. They see him as beautiful. But other people look at the same Jesus, and they actually find him repulsive. Fast forward 2,000 years, an example we've seen in our own culture of what Peter is talking about would be Tim Tebow. If you remember him, he just learned this past year, probably not going to be playing in the NFL any longer. But we do remember him from playing in Denver as the quarterback. And because Jesus was precious to him, because Jesus was his cornerstone, he praised Jesus in front of millions. Whenever there was the opportunity, he'd bow down. We remember a picture like this. And this is what he'd be known for. And people began to bow across our country just like Tim Tebow. In fact, for those people who are Christians who find, you know, Jesus as being precious, they begin to follow him, buy his T-shirts with, with his number on it, right? You know, join his fan club because Jesus is precious and they would applaud this. But then there were a host of other people. And how did they respond when they were encountering this Jesus? Well, they couldn't stand it. And in response to this, there was a website formed called TebowHaters.com. TebowHaters.com. And when they noticed that he was wearing a purity ring because he was saving himself for marriage, they found that ridiculous. There was a radio station campaign that was started called Get Tim Tebow Laid. Not honoring Jesus. He wanted to honor Jesus with his body, with his life. And this world looks at this and they think, how stupid. How stupid. Some people look at Jesus, they find him beautiful. And others, they look at Jesus, they find him repulsive. One theologian marks it this way. He says, Christ is laid across the path of humanity on its course into the future. In the encounter with him, each person is changed. One for salvation, another for destruction. One cannot simply step over Jesus to go on about the daily routine and pass him by to build a future. Whoever encounters him is inescapably changed through the encounter. Either one sees and becomes a living stone, or one stumbles as a blind person over Christ and comes to ruin, falling short of one's creator and redeemer, and thereby of one's destiny. But Peter makes it very, very clear what the destiny is for all those who respond to him. We are to be one eternal family, living out the huge potential he sees in each one of us. Friends, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Because Peter pauses now. He says, I want you to know who you are. He says, but you are a chosen people. 
You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God. See, friends, Peter taught us already that that God is the one who draws us. We respond to him. He, He draws us to Jesus. And then God is the one who installs us into his family. And now we learn that God is the one who calls us. And there are four callings that he places on the life of every believer. The first is this, that we are a chosen race. A chosen race. Now, the word race literally means a people who share a common lineage. So we have to ask then, what is the the common lineage that we share with all believers from Old Testament times, New Testament times, modern day times? What is the common lineage we share? And it's this, it's God's choice to love us and claim us as his own. We see this in the Old Testament. It started with Abraham because Abraham did not choose God. God chose him. And then God chose Isaac. God chose Jacob. Then we reach the New Testament and Jesus shows up and he chooses his own disciples, even though back then it worked the other way around. And so if you are here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, it's because God chose you. We are a chosen race, but that's not all. He also says that we are a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood. And this is a term that messes a lot of Christians up. We tend to think that there are just a few people who are these priests. They're the extra special ones. And then the rest of us Christians, we're just kind of mediocre. That's what we have in mind. And yet Peter says, we are a royal priesthood. He goes all the way back to Exodus and God speaks these words. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasure possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In the Old Testament, there was a special class of people known as these priests. In fact, in order to be a priest back then, you had to come from the right family. Either you had to come from the Levite house or the house of Aaron. Peter writes now of a day when God will look at all of his children, every single one of you sitting here right now, if you're a follower of him, he'd look at all of us and he would see us as priests as priests friends have you thought about it that way have you thought of yourself as a priest and what sets a priest apart from others well first of all a priest had access to god in a way that no one else did he could enter directly into god's presence and when he entered directly into god's presence there was this huge curtain this strong curtain that kept everyone else out and then came jesus And then came the cross. And the gospel tells us, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. See, the curtain that used to keep everyday Christians out, now lets everyday Christians in. And now we are all priests, friends. And as priests, we are the mediators between God and man. Think about this, that you are a mediator between God and man. First of all, as a priest, you bring God's word to the people. And you do that when you share your faith with somebody, when you share your testimony, when you pray for somebody at the restaurant, you are being a priest. And you're also a priest when you bring the people's needs before God. Just a moment ago, you acted as a priest when you prayed for that person that God would draw that person to himself. You were being a priest. And because of Christ shed blood on the cross, friends, we don't need a priest to serve God for us. We don't need a pastor to serve God for us because we are the ones to be priests and ministers to this world. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. A holy nation. 
We saw last week, of course, that holy means to be separate, to be distinct, to be pure. So to be his holy people, to be his holy nation means that we live very distinctly. Because we're dedicating ourselves, friends, every single day to putting off all those other things this world finds acceptable. We put those things away in order to focus on Jesus. Because as his holy people, we walk as he walked. We live as he lived. And we love as he loved. See, we are the agent through which God desires to bless this entire world. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about that? And we're not to take this call lightly. Because in addition to all these things, Peter also says that we are a people belonging to God. You are a person belonging to God. We are a people belonging to God. And here he draws upon the words of Isaiah. Listen to these powerful words. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I'm going to stop right there because some of you just need me to stop right there. Think about these words. I'm going to read them again. Fear not. Some of you are afraid right now. You're afraid of tomorrow. You're afraid of if your relationship is going to stick together. You're afraid of your financial situation. You're afraid for a host of reasons. And God says, fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And since we are his own friends, I want you to think about it. What that means is once you respond to Christ, his stubborn love will never let you go. Will never let you go. Why? Because we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And for what purpose? Well, Peter writes this, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were in darkness, but now you are in light because of his work. We declare his praises because of this. I think sadly enough, many times when we gather, we have the opportunity to declare his praises. We offer God kind of a golf clap kind of a praise. In a few moments when we end this service, I want you to just worship him from the bottom of everything that you've got and just scream it out, even if it sounds horrible, okay? Because we are here to declare his praises with our lives, with the way that we serve people, with the words that we sing and the words that we pray. And because he has called us out of darkness into light, friends, we need to know who we are, but we also need to always remember and be humbled about who we once were. And Paul says, once, Peter says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. And why do we abstain from sinful desires that war against our soul? Well, first of all, because God has called us to be his holy people. We want to live as he's, he's called us to be. But secondly... We abstain from sinful desires because when we live as hypocrites in this world, friends, the people around us that aren't following him, they notice and they look at us and say, why do I even need Jesus at all? But when we live as his people, friends, when we live as his holy people, what's the result? 
Well, the world's going to notice, Peter writes, they're going to see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That other people around us, the people you're working with, the people that you live with on your street, even your own family members are going to see you living out true Christian family and they're going to want in. And when they respond because they're seeing how you live, they're going to glorify God. They in turn will become family members as well, but not by surprise. Not by surprise at all. Why? Because God is the one who draws us. God is the one who installs us. And God is the one who calls us. He calls us a chosen race. He calls us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. We are family, friends. And here's the big idea. God calls us as his family to bring others into his family. God calls us as his family to bring others into his family. We're not just to kind of go into our homes, have a good dinner, stay inside, and just enjoy the fireplace. We are to live out loud, friends, as the family of God. So what does it look like then? For you, for me, for all of us here to do our part as family members in order to bring those who are not part of the family of God into the family of God. What might that look like? Well, to answer that question for us, please join me in welcoming Jasmine Sandu. Can you come forward, Jasmine? And she's going to declare and help us to see this through her own life. And so let's welcome her. Let's thank her. It's good to see you. And uh, Jasmine, somebody I've gotten to know, uh, last year I met her and I just remember thinking, you've got to hear her story. Because in essence, you have to hear our story. Our story as a family. So walk back with me in time just a little bit. Kind of set the stage for us. Tell us about your life uh, some years ago, kind of the backstory of where you've been. Um, I was raised in a different faith tradition. And at the age of 19... um, I was in an arranged marriage, which was customary of my culture. And unfortunately, this relationship uh, was an abusive relationship, both emotionally and physically. And my family, it was really difficult for them to help me out at that time. And my father had committed suicide. Um, My brother, at the age of 29, was killed in an automobile accident. And shortly after that, my marriage, um, I filed for divorce, deteriorated there. And I just didn't think anything worse could happen. And on October 22nd, 2011, my former husband was shot and murdered in front of my two children. It's your two children, your two girls. They witness their father being murdered. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't have a father to go to. Your brother has passed away. You don't really have a family to look to in those moments. So where do you turn? And the midst of such a horrific situation, where do you go? Where did you go? While I was still married, um, we had a nanny that attended church here. And she invited us to come to an event much like we're having today. And I let her take the kids, and they came home that evening singing praises of something as simple as God loves me. 
And they asked me that evening to read them a story from the Bible instead of reading their favorite storybook. Um, They asked to return to the church. So on and off, I brought them here. And listening to the sermons, it sort of piqued my interest. And I made a friend here at church, Robin. And she was open to answering any questions. And she invited us over one day during holiday break to bake cookies with the girls. And I always thought Christmas was just a superficial shopping holiday. And we went over there, and she really shared the story of Christ and what Christmas really means. And to some that were raised in a Christian household, that may be normal. But to me, it just I wasn't exposed to that, and it just was really to hear that story and to really learn about Christ. Um, after the children's father had passed, they just we needed some counseling, so I was introduced to a woman named Jamie, Janie from the church, and she's a guidance counselor, and she just walked with me. She was my mentor mom. She met with me at Starbucks just having coffee and trying to work through this whole time. I think most of all, she just, she shared Christ, and you could really see in all her interactions with me how she did that. Um, another woman, Diane Wallace, she, she was my daughter's fourth grade teacher, and at that time, the kids were going through such a tragedy, we just needed someone that they were comfortable with to just love on them, and she came alongside and did that. Um, Now, these are just four women that I mentioned. There's many more from the MCC family that did so much for me. And I had no family here, and it was amazing to me that these little things that everyone did, it meant so much to me in my life. And during a time when my life had just shattered and there was no one there, MCC embraced me and showed me that love. So now these women stepped into your life, but there were some men as well in terms of mm-hmm. uh, men who helped to serve you and help you. Tell us about what was going on as well. Uh, I think of Sam, for example, yes. and his role and some others of the deacons. Can you tell us about them? Mm-hmm. Some of the deacons, um, shortly after I just needed to, um, my grass was getting really tall after this tragedy, and it's just all these little things that needed to be done, and Everyone, they made sure the grass was cut or, you know, I had food. And I had, I, I was so numb in that time that I would just stare at the wall and I had no idea what was going on. And every night, a deacon would call and pray with me. And how powerful that was to just bring me through that time. It was powerful prayer during that time. So once from a different faith, uh, left with really no family here. And so now you're encountering all these different people. And I think what's so neat about just part of the story is all the different people from MCC that were used uh, to reach out to you. It all started with a high school girl who was your nanny. Mm -hmm. A high school girl who invited your girls here to church. And then, then all these different people stepped into your life. 
And so now you start coming here a bit more, right? Uh, you, your, your girls had already been here. They've been coming, and they, they were already kind of part of the church, but you were kind of coming on and off. And now you're starting to come on a regular basis. And I know you told me earlier that you know your girls, they're, they're really believing a lot of what's being taught. But you're sitting here in church, and you're not so sure. Tell us about your journey from, from where you were then, being loved on by a host of people, but not really buying this whole Jesus Christ thing yet. <laughs> And tell us how you got there. What was that like? Um, To be honest, I didn't really know what I was believing in that time. I had a high level of skepticism. And I was still in my infancy stages of faith and growing in my faith. And I just continued to pray. And God reached out and God initiated this relationship. Um, Seeing the love through the, the actions of these people... Helping that, like helping develop my personal relationship with the Lord. And as I continue to grow and just feel that and know that the Holy Spirit was working through me, um, it was in that time that I knew I wanted to give my life to the Lord. And in June of 2014, I was baptized by my mentor mom, and her husband baptized my two girls and was a wonderful father figure. For my girls during that time. So the woman who helped lead you to Christ and show you to Christ baptizes you. Her husband, kind of like their their father now, baptizes them. I remember that day. I'll never forget it. (laughs) A beautiful picture of what family is all about. Beautiful picture. So now you've come to saving faith. Now you're following Christ in your life. And I think, what's, I think what's so important is sometimes we, we forget to, to focus on even the bigger picture. Because when Christ saves us and redeems us, he transforms our life. All of it. All of it. And so now you came from a, a background, a religious background, of course, where women were, were not so free to operate in such ways and, and progress and learn really of their gifts and who they were. And so now you've come to Christ. Tell us what happened next in your life. Um, My mentor mom, Janie, had encouraged me that I needed to do something with my life. I needed to, you know, go back to school. Um, I really questioned just that she would even say anything. I'm the primary breadwinner. I have no help. Their father is not here. And how would I work and go to school and be a single mom and do all the things that life demands? And I prayed about it. And God told me, Go, I will walk with you. And I really, in that moment, I trusted that I would get through it. And today I'm proud to say that I did go back to school. I got my master's degree in accounting from the University of Cincinnati. And I currently work for a national public accounting firm as an auditor. And I think it's important to note that no one in my family went to college Um, They all came from India, and there was no way. And so by the grace of God, and only by the grace of God, was I brought to where I am today. Let me just make it clear, in four years she got her bachelor's degree and her master's degree. 
Uh, you have to leave in just a moment to catch a flight <laughs> out to Chicago uh, before her work. And so we were just trying to fit this in in just the right amount of time here. Um, You've got a few moments left. What do you have to say to all of us? What would you want to say to all of us? I would say someone planted a seed in my life. And it's not, you know, that one person is going to follow that through. There were several people that came alongside and, and loved on me and just showed me that. So it was really hard for me to accept help and by the way that everyone reached out with grace and love. And it's not about memorizing 50 Bible verses or knowing every book of the Bible. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you don't have to be a biblical scholar. Just show Christ's love. Just simply do that. That's all it is. got to get you to the airport and uh, so uh, friends we are a family that are called to bring others into the family and what you just saw here in Jasmine's life is a beautiful picture of that don't miss out don't miss out there are opportunities all around you are you taking advantage of them we are a family that's called to bring others into our family and in light of that as we say uh, goodbye to Jasmine for right now I know you've got to run um, let's thank her again. Thank her again. This is amazing. And I just want to say to all of us today, do you know who you are? Because once you understand who you are, it changes the way that you think, it changes the way that you talk, it changes the way that you live. And so do you know who you are? Do you know that your Father is good? Do you know that your Father is faithful? And do you know that you're loved? Do you know that you're loved? Because if you know these things, you can't help but share His love. Let's respond to the God who loves us. Let's worship Him, not with a golf clap. With all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, let's sing to Him because He is the one who's drawn us to Himself. And we're thankful. Let's praise Him.